0: Welcome to another figure week, hard surface week, organic week. everyone. My name is Ahmed Aldouri. I'm a concept artist and former instructor at Art Center College of Design, Brainstorm, CCS, CGMA, and various other places. And I would like to introduce to you this digital painting course that I've created. But before we get into anything, I just want to thank you for the support you've all given me this whole time. And with the support of so many of you, I've been able to put together everything I know about painting into this digital painting course. You want to be, become a pro, illustrator, concept artist, or even just a hobbyist, but you don't have a clear map to get there, and that's where I come in. I spent the last six months compiling everything I know from my 20 years of art practice, and I've turned it all into a map, starting with foundations such as rendering shapes, color theory, painting basic subjects, understanding brushwork, brush economy, all that fun stuff, deconstructing the skull, drawing it from every angle, all the way to master studies, stylized painting, and you'll find yourself at the end of the course doing a concept art project based on everything that we learn in the first 14 lessons. So how does it work? Well, you sign up, you watch the lectures, do the assignments, Post them to the community page if you want and treat it as a self-study, except for those of you who have signed up for the weekly meeting where I personally critique your work in a virtual classroom setting. I believe learning by repetition is super important. That's what I've sort of presented a lot in this course and the assignments are tailored for that as adapted from my time teaching at Art Center. And each of these lessons have step-by-step explanations in real time. If you've ever seen my videos, you know exactly how I teach. And this course is intended to be a substitute for a college level course like you don't have to pay the four or $5,000 per class, racking up maybe two hundred k in debt. With my custom design course, you'd be paying a fraction of that. And of course, I also have payment plan options if you don't want to pay for the whole thing at once. Thank you for watching this, and I'll see you soon.
1: guys and welcome back to another episode of digital artcast um sticking with you as always through these troubling times i hope wherever you guys are you're staying safe and creative as always um thanks again to people who have been joining the discord and i've been putting in suggestions for guests um actively working on that as always and tracking people on the the show that i think you would enjoy um and uh you know recently we've been trying to branch out uh slightly away from maybe just art centric fo- focused within the podcast and get people in who come from maybe d- different walks of life or have different um, jobs or different things going on in their lives that are still related to the entertainment industry, but are maybe not specifically related to art um, as we kind of started out. Um, today's guest is, is one of those people, um, someone who came through you know, multiple recommendations and people who also say that it would be a great chance to, to talk to them and get an insight into um, specifically the the studio that they are currently working at and and are are co-founded, but also, you know, the the Scottish Games Network in general and how that has definitely bloomed over the last couple of years and exploded and uh, put a kind of focus on, you know, specifically what's going on in this small part of the world. Because I think, uh, as we were recently talking about, people kind of, this may or just put away that the fact that, you know, games are made here, there are studios here as well. So, um, especially where this is is, is based. Um, So today... We are talking to uh, Mr. Douglas here. Uh, hey, Doug, how's it going? I'm well, thanks. Awesome. It's good, awesome. good to be here. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Um, now, Doug, uh, you have a really impressive title. I think more impressive than most people that have been on the podcast so far. <laughs> but you are one of the co-founders of Outplay Entertainment. Yes, that's correct. I'm a co-founder and CEO. Yes. Yes. So um, if you guys don't know, um, I'm sure Doug will tell you, but if you can give us a brief summary, um, what is Outplay Entertainment?
2: Outplay is a um, mobile first developer. Um, we, uh, company was uh, co-founded in uh, 2010. We raised our first we're venture capital backed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we raised money uh, in December, 2010. Opened a studio in Dundee in April 2011, and I've been making free-to-play games
1: uh, for mobile ever since. Fantastic. Yeah. And that's obviously now, you know, just a little over 10 years you guys have been doing that. And uh, I think it's always incredible to look back at the, the span of stuff you've created and the things you've taken on. Um, do you feel like um, it's crazy looking back now that it's been 10 years? Do you still feel like it's just that the company just started?
2: I mean, in reality, you know, it's we're we're almost twelve years, you know, it's yeah. you know eighteen months since we, uh, sorry, you know, uh, eleven years mm. since we uh, opened the studio, and uh, uh, so no, I mean, it's, uh, it's very it's a, it's a strange, and I've obviously been and that's been affected by the, the lockdown. I think yeah. you know that that's changed everyone's perception of time. <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, i trying to account for that. It's still <laughs> been a pretty crazy uh, journey, uh, yep. and you're trying to sort of Imagine sort of Richard and I in April 2011 opening up the office and be, you know just having a bunch of IKEA tables in there that we'd assembled and cobbled together some Wi-Fi and and started inviting people into the, the office. It was definitely from where from the the business I co-founded before. Right, Coming back and starting from scratch again uh, was definitely, you know, uh, a challenging, uh, interesting ride.
1: I could imagine. Yeah, especially in Scotland, because I think as we were talking before we started recording that people, you know, think Scotland, especially within the game sector, they really automatically always go to Rockstar North. And, you know, like we said, they're one of the biggest. But I think there's so many small gems dotted around that do incredible work um, that people, you know, don't know about and I think Outplay is one of them although you guys obviously have been making huge traction over the last couple of years and you know I think one of the biggest announcements I saw on Twitter at one point when I really started to get on your radar was when you guys had kind of paired with Angry Birds and you were doing a mobile game based on that stuff as well and the Gordon Ramsay stuff you know it just seems that you've kind of hit these big huge IPs over the last couple of years that's been incredible right?
2: Yeah I mean the you know Angry Birds is you know crazy you know that's nine years ago that we actually uh, launched that game and that Mm -hmm. was uh a really serendipitous moment for the company. We had we had just done, we had just built a, a new bubble shooter type game, mm. uh, and I happened to be out at E3 um uh, the, the, the summer before, sort of showing it to some people, saying, "Hey, look, our new game. We're about to launch it, um, soft launch it," and right. they, and there was people from Rovio, and they said, "Oh my God, that would make an amazing Angry Birds game." and <laughs> You know, we flew out to ESPO and, uh, right. and spoke to the team there, said, you know what, actually, we'd make a really great Angry Birds game. So for, for six months, uh, the team totally redid the game, and mm-hmm. sort of picked it apart and put it back together as an Angry Birds tell, uh, Angry Birds pop. Right. And, it was done, and it was done as a joint venture. So we, were, we weren't getting paid to do it. We, we did it because we thought there was going to be a great opportunity in terms of the revenue for the, 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 the this revenue share right and, uh, and we were right you know it ended up being the biggest success um in terms of revenue for the company to date um, and if, and one of the biggest successes uh for um for rovio and, and free to play so it worked out really well
1: yeah yeah indeed yeah i mean even the, the the gordon ramsay thing as well was that a similar thing that came about were you just in the area of like a games conference and then something else had happened similar or was that did you directly talk to uh, that, yeah,
2: that's a, you know, that one came about you know just as a result of a developer uh the, a chinese developer the, mm. the publisher that had um had the rights to do something didn't have a team to do it approached us about doing it and we said well we'll, we'll publish we'll build it publish it in the west and you guys can uh, publish it in asia right and, and and that's what happened and we've had a really um uh, you know, it's not like I'm friends with Gordon or anything, but he's, <laughs> he's been he's been remarkably easy uh, and and very sort of uh, generous mm-hmm. for this time uh, working with him, uh, and we've yeah just really enjoyed that relationship.
1: Fantastic, yeah. So I mean, like <clears throat> talking about this big IPs now, they've came over the last couple of years, and that's been a huge thing for Outplay, but. What was the thinking behind launching a mobile game studio in Scotland at the time? Um, probably at that time, even knowing the competition and what was back then, because even back in 2010, you know, the, the landscape looks very different now uh, in the developers and small studios that are propped up in Dundee. But back then, was it as busy? You know, did you feel like you had a space you could slot so, into?
2: So, I mean, the, the, I, Richard, my co- brother and co-founder, and mm-hmm. I lived in the, the U.S., um, for you know 16 17 years and and during the, during the time we were out there we, we co-founded uh, a, a developer with a friend from England mm-hmm. uh, called the collective and we started we we bootstrapped that company and started both you know getting gigs making bigger bigger and bigger projects and mm-hmm. slowly but surely developed a reputation uh, for working on you know big big ip so star star trek Buffy Star Wars, Indiana Jones, games like that as well as trying to do original uh, games and right. um, in 2006 we we merged that 2005 we merged that with another developer and became the biggest independent developer in the West and we grew that uh, 2006 we uh, sold the majority of state to a private equity company. Uh-huh. We grew that we acquired a number of companies and in 2008 we were a really, the, the, the massive 850-person, 13-studio uh, developer, wow. um, and the we launched, we got a launch game, a, a day one launch title on the mm. App Store, uh, and the, that was a really, you know, pivotal moment in my career uh, in terms of leading that effort, where I thought, you know, here's here's the you know the the most perfect opportunity for people. Who want to build games and take them direct to market they don't want to have a publisher they just want to make their games and have an audience there right um, and that that um soft of, that sort of moment changed it for me in terms of I, i'm going to leave the company that I co-founded and mm. start another company that's just simply focused on mobile games
1: right um, yeah
2: and that that that's sort of how the journey began and then when we when we richard and I sort of started looking at the types of game that we were going to build, we realized that free to play was what we want we wanted to do. Right. And that, when you're doing free to play games, it means there's kind of no end to them. You're always yeah. adding, you're always adding new features, you're always adding new content, mm-hmm. and that meant that we, we really were starting to look at well, now we're going to need to start building up a team again that we can have you know reliability around. Uh, and when we looked around in Southern California and California in general, <clears throat> there really weren't that many developers. Making mobile games <clears throat> and making Facebook games, we were also very interested in social, uh, the social side of things, and we'd had ongoing c- conversations with SDI, Scottish Development International, for mm-hmm. years about potentially opening up a studio in Scotland. Right. And so we went back to them and said, "Hey, you know what? We're, we're maybe thinking that California is not the place for us to start this new business up. Right. You know, maybe maybe Scotland would be." Uh, and so we flew out. Um, met with a bunch of people, uh, other developers, and and in Dundee in particular. And you know, there's people making mobile games. There's people making social, you know, Facebook mm-hmm. games. And so it felt like there was actually more people kind of in the mix on that stuff then right. there was around us in, in California. So that that kind of made the decision for us.
1: Yeah. I mean, great for Scotland, obviously, because you know, Outplay has also provided many jobs and opportunities to people in Scotland. You know, and you guys have obviously, you know, put another mark on the Scottish map for developer. You know, so it's also highlighted that because you know, I think we were talking about this other day about you know um, the SNP and how Sturgeon has talked about you know she really wants to make Scotland itself a, a tech hub and a place where you know developers can feel you know happy to come to and, and start up businesses and start up development places. Um, I mean, we've definitely seen it within even the film sector the last couple of years, right, that that exactly. and Edinburgh have exploded with with filming and people coming here to film with big Hollywood budget films. Um, do you think that the way Scotland's evolved over the last 10 years, the sector for gaming will continue to expand?
2: Yeah, I think as a, I see no reason why not. I mean, you, you look, all you need is um, another pretty significant success, mm-hmm. that, you know, and that could be from us, it could be from another developer. Um, but, you know, the, my, the way I look at it is a comparison I have is with Finland, which right. uh, is home to some of the biggest developers, uh, certainly in mobile, um, you know, SuperCell, you know, multi-billion, you know, valuation business. Yep. Uh, that would be transformational for Scotland. I mean, for the UK to have an, a, a developer of that kind of scale. I see. Uh, and there's no reason, there's nothing preventing it happening. Yeah. You know, no, definitely. it's not, It's a you know, it's a five million, circa five million population country with not dissimilar, arguably worse weather than we have. And <laughs> so uh, there is no reason, uh, and but it wouldn't not, happen, I, of course. When you look at other opportunities for Scotland to have those mm-hmm. kinds of that sort of size of business, yeah, uh, it feels like you know, games is a very, very incredible opportunity.
1: Of course, no, agreed. And I think that people also, you know, again as we can hit on this um kind of broken record, but with Rockstar North, I think one of the problems we see that or I see is that the fact that, you know, take two interactive own names, so not all of the money that is generated there goes back into Scotland's funds to try and kind of build that. I mean, I don't know too much about the studio, I couldn't speak on it of course, but then I think with you guys being primarily, you know, you bound and built in Scotland and you know you guys have kind of started that whole thing in Dundee and you know, it's one of these things where I think that there's there's Maybe not as many Scottish studios in Scotland. You know, there's some studios that are maybe doing great things, but you know, I think even the guys that work on Microsoft who are based in dundee again are, are, are from they run from Microsoft. So there's definitely a collab and and those two studios and that they go back and forth. And obviously, some of it goes back to Scotland, but um there's not too many huge. You know, I say Scotland, but I mean, I know Rockstar started as DMA, so that was a Scottish yeah. studio, and that yeah, was polished, awesome. didn't he? Rockstar? Um, but yeah, you know what I mean, Like I feel like it uh, plays one of the shining examples of people who have came from Scotland, are in Scotland, have founded in Scotland and are a Scottish studio, if that makes sense, do you know what I mean?
2: Uh, no, I mean, I think, uh, you know, we've got uh, UK investors, the primary investor mm-hmm. um, was, is you know, uh, Pentech, which is a Scottish, you know, VC, and, uh, and we've got, and alongside the, the money that they put in, in initially, Mm-hmm. it's the Scottish government put money in so we've got Scottish government money in us you know in, in the business as well so it's very definitely got <laughs> scotland is very heavy on this dna that's the
1: great. roots yeah definitely yeah i mean speaking about now obviously how you guys are running day to day i mean it's very different and obviously we've talked about covid we make touch on that at one point but when you guys started out what were some of the biggest hurdles you had apart from funding i mean that would be probably one of the biggest right because you need money to do things but um, was something like social talent, for instance, was that something also that you struggled to?
2: Yeah, so that's a, uh, just a, a background challenge that's existed in the industry for years and is and has, has arguably even tougher now. Uh, right. You know, to, because you have, um, not only do you have just a success, the ongoing success of the games industry, you have quite a lot of, sort of adjacent industries that sort of need similar talent. So you have like fintech, right you know, uh, yeah and you know competing for engineering or user interface and user ux people and art yep. you've got crypto mm-hmm. you know uh, coming in with you know outrageous amounts of money and um, looking to sort of start building games around crypto related technologies and um, so it's definitely and just generally tech you know yeah. lots of tech and so there there's definitely a, that that you know we we were able to hire um, when we first opened the studio, mm-hmm. you know, there was a sufficient number of people that were interested in the business within, uh, you know, what we were setting out to do. They mm-hmm. were able to hire the sort of core team um, relatively locally quite quickly. Right. Um, but for, since that then, and you know, we've been very um, so strict on not headhunter. You know, we, we don't poach um, right. from other. You know, we just think from an ecosystem perspective. That it's unhealthy to just have people all sort of
1: moving between people, constantly, you know, yeah. The
2: musical chairs within a small, you know, relatively small environment. And so that that's just been, you know, we've, we've tended to sort of seek talent from everywhere really in the UK and then beyond. And, and so as a consequence of that, the, we've had for years now, a very, very sort of diverse team. You know, we've had for years over 20 nationalities, um, you know, working in the studio. And mm-hmm. that's only um, increased in terms of headcount since uh, we, we all started working entirely remotely. And we actually just literally hire people. We're not even relocating some people. They, they're they not interested in relocating for one reason or another. And right. that's fine. They can work in France or they can work in Spain. And right. they'll, they'll still be an out player, but they'll they'll not be
1: in or around Dundee. Right. Yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, I, I mean, COVID has definitely presented challenges. And I think if you look at the silver lining and everything that's happened, that, yeah, the remote working now has exploded and studios are now learning that going fully remote or, you know, using part remote is also a way of the future that you don't have to be moving countries to to work with certain developers. And I think especially, like, even just one of the the guys I knew recently who works now for Respawn in California, but they obviously are are based in London, but he was happy just to, to stay there and so were they. So, you know, there's definitely opportunity abound for people who want to work in the games industry but don't or can't move country for whatever reason, you know, whether it be visa issues or anything, you know, financially. Um, Yeah. It's definitely,
2: definitely, um, you know, I think we were fairly, we've been pretty progressive about, you know, within, you know, two weeks of, I mean, there was no, you know, like pretty much everyone else, it's not as though we'd had any sort of dress rehearsal for working. remotely. It was like, uh, I think we're going to have to start working remotely. It looks like we're going to go into lockdown. All yeah. right, um, hey everyone. We're going to go. You know, we're working remotely as of next <laughs> week. You know, and you know, aside from some sort of hardware, furniture, sort of webcam type niggles, and getting that for, them sorted out for everyone when they were like finding hen's teeth, mm. um, it all kind of worked pretty well. And yeah. you know, and then we've only we've only been able to re, you know we've refined that over the over the course of the last you know
1: few two years, months. yeah,
2: and. Um, so, but within within a few weeks, we we had already started had some you know company meetings that said, hey, just so you know, we're never going back to nine to five, yeah, uh, five days a week. And yeah. then you know after that, you know, we said, hey, just so you know, we're actually we're just really likely that we'll be offering a pretty much hybrid solution for forever. And right. then our la- the most recent thing that we said was that you know it's a it's maximally flexible hybrid. You know, if, you know, work where you feel you're going to be able to do your best work, and if that's always at home, that's fine. If it's always in the office, that's fine, and if it's somewhere in between, you know, that, you know well. We'll, we'll facilitate that. Uh, and so it's, I, I mean, I think you know, and I've said, I started saying that early on that during the pandemic. Obviously, before we knew how long it was going to last, mm-hmm. that, you know, that there 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 will be silver linings, and one of them is the quality of life for people that mm. the. the reduction in environmental impact of having people check, check mm. back and forward to an office yeah. so that they can do exactly the same work potentially in a worse environment than <laughs> just staying home
1: yeah no i mean definitely and i think that's been one of the things that i mean we were just talking to you know my partners from the netherlands and they were talking about how um netherlands has just made it a law a basic human right now that working from home is a human right so i mean now that that's championed i'm hoping that the rest of europe might follow suit but you know it's, it's difficult now with brexit as well because we don't really follow the, the same yeah, curve yeah. um and i mean it's definitely made things work-wise more difficult as well i, I think control.
2: i think it's the type of thing that doesn't actually really require legislation because i think that uh, it becomes something where it's untenable as as more and more companies offer environments that are you know that have that much, you know, that kind of consideration around welfare and ultimately productivity and so on. Yep. Being, you know, um, how can you compete? You know, if I'm, if, if we've already talked about talent, you know, re- recruitment being one of the biggest challenges, if yep. you've got two companies, you know, and one's saying, I ah, we need you in office three days a week for absolutely no good reason at all. And right. there's another that's saying, no, oh, no, you don't have to do that.
1: I'm in the office, and,
2: yeah. Um, then unless there's some, crazy other, you know, some other reason, then you're gonna go right, with yeah. one that allows you that flexibility, you know? Um, yeah. and, w- and once you've had it, once you've had that flexibility, you don't want really to give it up. Are effective, it's really quite a struggle to mentally say, no, no, I really want to go back to being that
1: <laughs> <clears throat> no, we were just we were talking about this the other day, fun enough, in my Discord server where um I don't want to name the specific company, but they recently put out something on LinkedIn that was shared where they had a system where um you know depending on the severity of the project people would have to come back in either three four or five days a week um and you know funny enough i've seen other recruiters now making fun of that post because they're like well why would you why would you not just come work with us where we offer Well, let's
2: let's look at the language there right you know according to the severity you're someone right so if it's turned into a shit show (laughs) we need you in the office more as well it's not it's not even like you know it's five days a week but it's really good time in the project (laughs) it's it's five days a week when things are at their worst
1: worst (laughs) yeah i mean i mean vfx in general i think has always been that kind of that kind of way but yeah definitely i think the way they they've used the acronym as well it's never really landed itself as well to be a positive spin but yeah um but then like you say people are now taking it like ilm was one of the first to come out and say you know come work for us because you don't want to go through this but it is just throwing people to the wind and uh Funny enough, I've seen one or two people from that company <laughs> up and <laughs> throw a resignation letter in since they saw that. So I mean, it's, it's not doing anything positive for them. But um, but yeah, I think remote is one of these things that it needs to be offered. As you know, I think just modern working, just uh, you know, it, it seems crazy now when we look back that it wasn't something we were doing earlier. I think it was. No, I, yeah. I, I
2: think I think you know there was clearly movement in that direction, but it was, but it was glacial. And I think that the, I think the, the sort of pandemic. Mm-hmm. So, accelerated, you know, five to ten years of change, gradual change into, you know, six
1: months or something. Like that. Yeah, 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 all at once. Yeah. I mean, it's even the thing where the UK government at, at one point, not well, they do anything, a lot of things great, but one thing they were talking about, our champion, was the four day week um, and trying to offer that to people and, and companies around the UK if, if they wanted to also incorporate that into their system. And I think it's getting one of these things where. I'm hoping like you say the work-life balance is now going to be a priority where people will not have to live at the work constantly or have a thing where they have to choose between you know working comfortably in a company and then also you know
2: there's going to be be some industries that you are well there are there's there's types of industry that simply have to be people you know you know that's it's just the job yeah um but for industries like ours Mm -hmm. where you know without any practice without any research with nothing We can spend two two plus years making games, keeping live games going, coming up with ideas, having creative—you know—all of that. You know, there's definitely things that benefit Mm -hmm. from from social interaction, and you know the what how we're you know we've still got an office. You know, we've got Mm -hmm. two units in the Vision Building, Dundee, and um, what we're doing now is we're just sort of like just testing things. It's like as people as more people slowly start want to spend a bit more time in the office, it's like, what are the things that are going to be the most valuable? You know, what you what you want to have is a situation where you've created a reason or reasons and a and a space and environment that people want to go into the office. Not mm-hmm. it's not about forcing people into the office. It's about right. making, making reasons and an environment that people want to go into the office. And yes. those are two very diff- different things with two very different outcomes. We're not looking to have, say, hey, we want people to come into the office so they can put their headphones on and do heads down work. Right. that's Just do that at home, you
1: know. Yeah, of course.
2: Um, but if people want to come in and do a retrospective on something, grab some lunch, do a build review where you can all be kind of, in, you know, there's certainly some, there's advantages that that you know uh, that are real you know and that people can, anyone can perceive you know we had our first um, you know, we used to do quite a lot of parties before uh, the, the lockdown before we all started working remotely mm-hmm. and uh, the we had that kind of just you know was multiple big parties throughout the course of the year mm-hmm. and and you know lost people with social activities doing things playing football going on road whatever lots of different things going on at any one time and then we had our first in-person get together at scale uh, a few weeks back uh, and went to a sort of big activity center we had uh, i think we had about 95 people out of the company companies about 130. Uh, we had about 95 that got together Mm -hmm. uh, and we flew people in from wherever they were if they were far away you know, they a lot of them stayed for you know three four five nights uh, and got to, to hang out with their teams properly in many cases I mean. for some people the first time but you know we were all there uh, you know divided up into teams night to be there throwing axes building rafts <laughs> yeah. you know, doing combat archery and whatnot and then Fantastic. after that off to a pub and uh, and and just hanging out together and right. it was just great. You know, and, and it wasn't like you know everyone thought that, and everyone was keen to say how much they they thought it was great. So yeah. I think that I think there's just so much sort of fatigue or trauma that's been endured during the whole pandemic that people for, have kind of forgotten. Actually, it can be really good fun when you get together. So I think it's just going to take a wee while. But, you know, I think it'll be slowly but surely. And and the way we're fresh, you know, thinking about the business is to make it so that people actually want to spend time because they feel there's value.
1: Yeah, no, 100%. And you've touched on a lot of good points there um, on just general making people want to come in and and things like that. It's stuff you don't really think about. I mean, unless you're running a company like you are, then, you know, how do we get people into the office and make it exciting for them? And versus, you know, people have to come to the office because it's their job. And I think I would love the fact that more companies think like that because I definitely have heard the opposite right horror stories of people that we just talked about who are getting dragged in the office because it's just a thing where you know they want people back in the office but for what reason you know why are they doing it but yeah I think it's it's a good attitude because then it hopefully sets an example for other people within the sector that you know well, well Outplay's doing this you know why why is other people not doing this and it's like you said then the, the whole um you know the approach of like people want to work at companies well if they you know company A offers this and company no. B offers this you know so it's very good, definitely. So, I mean, you guys are doing the pandemic now, but, I mean, looking back in the last two years, apart from remote working, obviously, what was other challenges you found within development? Was it still the same making games, or was there a lot of difference?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's... Making games is hard. You know, I think that fundamentally making games is hard, and you also have the challenges specific to the mobile uh, part of the industry where um, Apple made changes uh, to to deprecate uh, IDFA and introduced their own somewhat limited form of tracking that that has a real impact in terms of people's ability to market effectively, uh, and you know that you know the, that that definitely a lot of challenges and still creates a lot of challenges. Um, so you know, I mean, it's a it's a tough it's a tough industry, isn't You know, there's not. It's not, um, it's an incredible industry, but it's not easy, um, you know, and it's not, it's not like uh, an industry where, all right, I've got the hang of this now. I just, I just do this over and over again, because. but by the time you kind of feel comfortable with one part of it, it'll change, and then you have to start again. And, and so it is, uh, yeah, and, and you're dealing with, you know, technology, you're dealing with creative, you know, it's just, it's a, a really sort of mix. Is you know, hard to get right. Um,
1: yeah. And the pandemic didn't help that obviously, it just made it even harder, I'm assuming. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, now you're probably taken lessons from the last two years and, and looked back on the struggles you had and how the, obviously the studio has evolved, we remote working, is there a way you kind of look at the future now? Do you think there's certain things that you have in your kind of goal line of like what you want to hit or how you want the studio to maybe shift in the next couple of years? Uh,
2: I think, you know, we're always pursuing, you know, sort of greater success. I think, you know, you, you want to have, um, you know, I think one of our sort of, you know, goals, I would say of commercial success, you know, your business commercial success is always there. But I think, you know, sort of ubiquity of one of our games, um, you know, you you can sort of think of things like, you know, Angry Birds or uh, Candy Crush or Clash of Clans, you know, where it just is known about by, you know, vast swathes of, you know, the population. And, you know, I remember the first time I got on a a plane, uh, I think coming back from London, and as I was walking down Nile, the there was someone sitting playing one of our games. Mm-hmm. I remember it was just like, ah, that's, you know, brilliant, you know, just actually yeah, seeing yeah. people out in the, out in the, out in the <laughs> wild playing your game, you know. And it's happened you know, many yeah. times since, but, you know, it's not, it's never been quite the level of just people playing your game everywhere, you know, it's just the, the stuff. Like kind know, of AAA console stuff.
1: Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, Just the, like AAA console stuff, like you're, you're not really competing in that market where that's like mass appeal, like stuff like Call of Duty, Fortnite, all that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, I mean, in those games, you know, they, I mean, the thing is, you know, although Call of Duty and, uh, and things like Fortnite, although they're massively popular, they're, in terms of audience, they're still a fraction of the audience of people that are playing, you know, Candy Crush or playing, you know. Of course, yeah, you know, 100%. So that's, that's what, what I'm talking about. It's like, yeah. you know, how do you get a game that's got 200 million people playing it a month? You know, yeah. it's, that, it's that kind of thing. and you Yeah. Know, We've, we've yet to reach that and that's that's definitely on the on the bucket list yeah
1: on the on the, the tech yeah. yeah yeah i even saw i mean recently we were, i was talking to a friend at king who was there in sweden and they were heading up uh the department that launched the crash bandicoot mobile game yeah, yeah. I think it was the crash run game um which was which was one i was trying to kind of uh, pick at the time and get into but then of course the pandemic hit so you know everything kind of closed down but but then they've obviously seen success with that and in the 3d space because traditionally was the king were doing more uh, 2d stuff you know at the time we, we kind of crush other games so is that a space you're also looking to venture into in the future do you think that like 3d is something you would want to envision i,
2: I mean you know from a background perspective you know uh, I, I basically have spent most of my life working on um you know 3d console games right uh, you know um so that is, is certainly something that you know as a person involved in making games i've had a lot of experience with not laterally. but mm-hmm. um if you look at i mean uh, one of our games, uh, Booty Quest, that right. had dual-time 3D environments. Right. Um, Castle Creeps, Tower Defense, right. that, had, that all had 3D uh, characters in there uh, real-time. A lot of our games have real 3D assets, but just not real-time. But we've also right. got games that have real-time. Um, so, yeah, there's there's three, 3D art is used throughout our games, um, both right. Static and, and Dynamic. We're working on a, another game right now um we've got two games right now that actually are, are significant amounts of real time 3d in them in comparison so right grand fantastic um, so yeah we've always had we've always had you know sort of you know riggers, modelers you know animators all that, they've always been in the business that's just it's less evident
1: of course no definitely i mean one of these things i think play that's great is the fact that you have such a diverse range of games right there's not just um you know, like, the, the terror defense isn't all you do, right? And it's just the one type of game. Like, you guys have, you know, multiple games over multiple different genres, you know, that, yeah. you know, have different probably teams involved in each game that do different things. So, I mean, it's great that Outplay has such a broad spectrum within the games industry and what they do. I mean, it's like, you know, because typically we're studio. You know, you'd have one type of game. You do that forever. You just do sequels and sequels and sequels until... Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, and, and we've had... um you know we've ended up spending more time in you know this sort of what you would consider casual um domain puzzle puzzle games casual puzzle mm. games like you know match three match two um bubble shooters you know it's definitely where we've had our greatest uh success and we've i've ha- launched the, more, the the main towers but if you if you look at the sort of history of the company mm. um there's been stuff like that as a um a sort of spine, if you will, for the business. And then to, uh, and that's frequently had things going on in parallel. Whereas alongside it running in in, in uh serial fashion has right. been more experimental games. I mean one of the first early earliest games um is a game called Monster Legacy and that was uh soft of, I mean soft of Zelda meets Monster Hunter, Pokemon Right. Slash Farmville type thing, and it was it have got a it was our first game to get Editor's Choice from Apple, uh, wow. and was nominated for a Scottish BAFTA alongside uh, GTA Five, which wow. we can all figure out which which one won. Um, <laughs> and uh, but that uh, that that was sort of like the start of you know we the Alien Creeps. Then mm-hmm. we did Castle Creeps. Then mm-hmm. we did uh, another game, Castle Creeps Battle, which was a, a sort of Clash of Clans style game in the mo- um with the, in the um, Castle Creeps universe. Right. And so there's always had that kind of um, bit of experimentation in, in different styles of genre, generally mm-hmm. more more mid core. Um. And then you know we do we do Facebook instant games. We've done word games. You know so. There's there is a lot of um, we've done hyper casual games mm-hmm. uh, you know so there's a, a fair amount of experimentation and I think even even the word casual now what casual represents as a, a canvas for creativity is actually a really pretty broad canvas now you yeah. know, there's a, you can make games that are you know really actually fairly hardcore but using casual mechanics. So it's not, it doesn't feel that limiting to say, you know, casual, which as some people said might mean that they just think you're doing a match three game.
1: Right. Yeah. Of course. No, I mean, like, even, yeah, I mean, the the, the thing I think about the automatically is the fact that Riot has now put most of their league stuff on mobile as well. Um, Like, I mean, they definitely have. Games that are now mobile eccentric and I mean, even with uh, Blizzard as well. I mean, they kind of launched Hearthstone way back in the day on on mobile, and that's been a, a huge, you know, a success as well as a card game and, and everything like that. So, yeah, there's a whole
2: And Diablo new Diablo games done. Well
1: oh, Immortal, of course, just launched. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's a huge. Like you said, it's a hardcore game, but with slightly a, a casual approach in the fact that the control system, the way you, you you travel between places, so it's definitely built for the casual audience in the sense that they don't want to sit their PC and play it, but yeah, it's incredible to see now the the leaps and bounds that um, mobile gaming has now taken versus like where the console space was a couple of years ago. And
2: well, it's so it's actually really so blurry. Um, mm-hmm. I mean the the the, the evolution of uh, the hardware. Um, you know, if you if you look at console console generations, were sort of typically typically sort of five to seven years, and so you'd have you'd have you know your generation come out. Mm-hmm. Everyone would make generally pretty bad games. Yep. For, um worse generally than the, the best games that came out of the prior generation yep then they got then they figured out what they were doing and started making really good games and then just as you were making the best games then the changes the game. <laughs> but, that, <laughs> but that five to seven years was where you saw the big leaps and in, in console certainly obviously in PC there was a bit more continuous in that but, yeah but that that was how it, the, the piece of sort of development if you will or you yeah. know, whereas on mobile, it's kind of all happening all the time. I mean, even just looking at iOS mm-hmm. or you know Apple, mm-hmm. iPhone, you're getting a new generation of hardware every year. Yep. You know, you're getting um, new business models introduced. You know, on a fairly continuous basis. So it's all that that that's enabled mobile. If you look at the soft power of mobile chipsets, yep. you know, I mean, they're using basically mobile chipsets now in the new range of Apple laptops. M one. M ones, yeah. Yeah. You know, and you look at what they're able to do and how much power that consumes. I mean, it's mind-boggling. So you sort of look at that and you go, really, what is a console versus what is a you know, mobile phones? Obviously, yeah. they're still more powerful, mm-hmm. but the biggest difference, really, is the controller the yeah. and the size of the screen that you're looking at. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. really fundamentally the biggest difference is I can play styles of game far, far better uh, using a controller than I could never do on a mobile phone, and so that—that's really the distinction versus necessarily anything else. It's, uh, you know, you, you can't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to play. There's a whole class of games that I wouldn't want to play. Or, you know, use on a touchscreen. You know, yeah. they are are going to have been so diluted, or mm-hmm. it's going to feel like you're playing the piano with boxing gloves on. You know.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I recently just purchased a an M one. Apple iPad Pro uh, for doing work and, and the difference between that and just even a, a general laptop that the that MacBook would, would typically make is above and beyond anything I've ever seen in, in the mobile space and I think with M1 now especially the fact that it has like a 4k screen or, or has the whole um, you know like OLED thing going on as well like the, I mean the mobile technology I think has just came so far in, in terms of leaps and bounds of the last couple of years It's it's almost now getting to a point where I think like you said, mobile games is now the, the the almost the people to beat because, you know, Apple Arcade came out, you know, a couple of years ago now, and that's also been doing great. And the fact that, you know, like you said there's no hardware every year. Um But there was the thing even where, like, you've got guys like John Romero, right, who who invented Doom, who built Ed Software, who started that whole thing. You know, he now lives in Ireland, in Galway, who and he, I think the last, I mean, he's now just announced he's making a brand new FPS. Yeah, but, guess, yeah. but then he just recently also cl- completed the game with his son where it was like a mobile, almost a mobile game. It was um, a taco truck thing, but, yeah, uh-huh. you know, it, very basic, you know, and appeal to, again, a mass audience, but even his tastes have changed. And, and if somebody like that who built the FPS genre is now, you know, moving to things like that, it, it's like, you know, like you said, the blur is happening where the, like console and PC games and mobile, it's all just becoming one entity almost.
2: Well, I mean, if you're, if you actually just think about games as being, you know, interactive entertainment, you know, and and don't sub sort of bracket it any more finely than that. Then anything where you're you know interacting with something is a game. You know, a more, you know, an interacting. You know, so that's the type of games that we make. And when I when I was working in the realm of console games and third person action shooters, action adventures, and so on, mm. you know, I, everyone in the, in the industry, you know, everyone appears sort peers and other sort of companies in the same. Similar, doing similar things, you know. We looked at Bejeweled, and and so on, and it was just, it was effectively looked down upon as being. It's not even a guess, not a game, is that? A game? You know, and yeah. of course, it's a game, you know, and people enjoy playing it, and they they do all the, they they have more, largely similar responses to playing it that people playing, you know, a hardcore RTS or FPS or whatever are going to have. It's just, but just, it's not maybe as passionate. You know, it's maybe maybe not, you know, it's not a it's not people that play playing, you know, mobile games, a lot of them, the vast majority of them don't self-identify as a gamer. If you met them in the street, you know, are, are you a game? It's like saying to someone, are you a movier? Are you a yeah. booker? You know, it's just like, no, it's just something I do. I enjoy yeah. it, it's something I do. And um, I think that's that you know, we have to sort of just look at the fact that you know, this is an incredibly positive thing for the games industry and for games in general, because it means that. You know in a few years you know pretty much everyone on the planet will enjoy playing games of one form or another and that that's just you know fantastic
1: yeah i mean it was one of these things i think it was somebody had put it in a, a facebook meme or some kind of funny picture where they were talking about how we would be the first generation of people who would retire have so granddads and grandmas who have consoles and video games because it was part of their life oh. growing up which <clears throat> is crazy to me i mean when i was born you know in 85 it's like you know the the industry was just becoming you know it was just exploding it was like the big bang and you know i was playing my nes back in the day you know legend of zelda when i was five years old and you look at even how zelda's came you know full circle now with breath of the wild and how that's you know now one of the best games ever reviewed and has 10 out of 10 scores everywhere and you know it's an incredible experience and it's a weird place to be in in the world where games um are relatively new have only been about for you know 30 40 years and if you look at the film industry 100 years ago, you know, and how that was set up and how that run at Hollywood, and now where they are now, it's like it's crazy to think where the game industry would go, not even just the next 10 years, but the next 50 years. VR, oh, right? yeah. AR, you know.
2: No, it's the, the, the thing. I think there was a moment in time about 15 years ago where I think people just thought that they knew what games were and that it was going to be you know, just bigger budget versions of FPSs and RTSs and whatever. And that it would be, you'd have a console, you'd get, you know, a, a new version of some optical media that, you know, would you know, be delivered on and, and so on. And I think there was just this kind of sort of complacency about that. It's kind of, well, this is what the games industry is going to be like. In the same way that the movie industry, outside of going to, co- you know, adding sound, going to colour, Arguably, having a bit of a, a dabble with 3D, yes, yeah. technologically was for the vast majority of the time exactly the same—a bulb with a sheet of celluloid flying in front of it 24 <laughs> times a second. You know, it, it was very little in the way of change, and I think that we kind of thought, well, this is a business model. This is, you know, people go to shops to buy games on a some format, and, and they play them on their device, whether it's a PC or console at home. And of course, none of that's ha- You know, now games are free. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> games are free; they're played by pretty much everyone, anywhere, at all times. Yeah. Um They're not product; they're, they're services. Yes, yeah. you know. I mean, it's it's entirely different. So that the the thought that um, you know what we've seen in the last thirty four years that there's not much more to come or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. it's like no. We're we still barely scratching the surface. It's, you know, I think five years is hard to try and forecast. Never mind yeah. twenty or forty.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, even the, when people had that whole mass appeal when uh, Spielberg done Ready Player One, you know, and and people were starting to look at like, could this be the future of the games? Is this where we're going to go? Is the whole virtual reality thing going to take over? And I think it's it's probably a lot more dystopian and far fetched when you look at the film. But like, yeah, I mean, the way. Even because, I mean, like we talk about console generations. You look at how quickly Meta has now pushed Oculus or Meta, Oculus or whatever the name is at the time. But, uh, but yeah, VR is now becoming to a point where like, yeah, like the fact that the Quest 2 is a mobile space had the whole unit within the headset. So people don't have to oh. worry about the, the computer, the wires, all that kind of stuff. So that was another leap to consumers. And now, of course, they guys are planning the next thing, the next iteration, you know, even introducing AR as a, as a comparison or a companion. To the VR headset. so I mean, like that's incredible I as well, right?
2: The you know VR has taken a long time to get get here. Yeah. I mean, the first, uh, you know, it's been I don't know how many tries this is now. Yeah. I mean, I th- all you have to do really the, the games the games industry um, added massive um, resource to initiatives around CPU GPU and the development of the technologies, so of those enabling technologies. And similarly, mm-hmm. so you, people are sitting in, in cars, or what, you know, TVs, all this stuff benefit from games from years ago when people were, there was lots of money in their driving and research and development. So I think Intel, AMD, Nvidia, you know, the other competitors back in the day, um, were pouring so much money into accelerating the speed, power, 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 more, 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 mm-hmm. power. And that that's just benefited everyone, you know, so everything's benefited from that. And again, games are driving, you know, mobile, you know, so you, so all of the, the, the fact that you, you can get fanless laptops delivering mad, mad, you know, power and and battery life, mm-hmm. that, of course, then just translates directly into VR. So VR is now riding on two sets of coattails that might that, that miniaturization, display technologies have gone through, you know, Again, so you're, it just means that yes, that's really going to come as you know, so expression. You know, mm. it's slow until it's quick, and it's it's been slow, and now it's about to get quick. You know, yeah. and and certainly the quest too. I think definitely you're at the point now where you're going. I can start seeing a lot of people getting this rather than being early adopters and enthusiasts and so on.
1: Yeah. No, yeah. so I had the I had the <coughs> the vibe back in the day when Valve launched it and. You know, it was the whole like 20 wires coming at the back of my head and I haven't have so many feet within the computer. But when the Quest 2 hit, the fact that I could play it in my garden, you know, run about like, you know, it's like yeah. it was a crazy comparison. But, you know, I think like you said, with the whole thing with going from slow to quick is definitely, I mean, even people I know who work within the fitness industry are seeing a whole comparison of like, there's a sector there where people can actually you know, work out at home, especially during the pandemic, right? Yeah, I mean. You can work out in a studio home, you can work out doing virtual workouts, but within VR. Mm. and that was an exciting thing. Beat Saber of course has, has been one of the biggest downloads I think on the Quest for you know forever and and that also now are, is something people are using to work out and, and see. Yeah, more of course, so
2: DDR you know Dance Dance Revolution. Revolution
1: yeah. yeah mixed with Guitar Hero in a sense or something like that yeah. but yeah it's uh yeah it's, it's crazy to think even the fact that you know Angry Birds launched a game of that not too long ago and I actually hadn't played Angry Birds on my phone for a long, long time but playing it in VR and physically being able to pull the, the slingshot uh-huh. back and fire birds that was a whole. It's yeah, like, yeah. There's, yeah there's I mean, it, it, it reintroduced gaming to me. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm.
2: No, there's a, there's a, a definitely a magical quality to it, and and the the difficulties that you have in terms of eye strain and you yeah. know, motion sickness for some people, and mm. you know, actually just holding devices on your head that were heavier for that long. You know, yes. there's, there's things that were. That are <clears throat> are detrimental to you know wanting to do it that often, but you know as as these just get those issues you know get refined and ultimately disappear, yeah. then you know then you still you still have the, the 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 issue of putting yourself into effectively a vulnerable place when you're in VR, which is you're, you're 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 locking yourself away from everyone else. So it's distinct from sin you Know with your phone playing a game on the mobile while you're sitting with your you know, spouse or loved one, watch. yeah, you can get away with that, yeah, so of course. Anyway, you can be watching the TV and you can still be playing a game there, yeah. but you know, putting the headset on,
1: it's a
2: very different experience. So, I think there's always going to be a little bit more of a limit on how you know how widespread usage of VR will be, just by virtue of course. the fact that it is sort of. Really antisocial, at least in the meat space. Yeah, yeah. it can be very social in the VR in the VR space.
1: Yeah, I think the future of that also might be more AR than VR because I know that people can put on just a pair of glasses, you know, and see different things moving about their living room. That's obviously again because you're bringing almost people into that experience as well Uh, because they're sitting next to you. But ARs, I
2: think AR has got a far wider potential than
1: VR. Yeah, definitely. I think even some of the patterns I've seen coming out, the Apple were were more primarily focused on that than VR. I think they also had some version of, of a glass they were introducing that would work in, pa- in comparison with the iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, there's a whole thing there. But who knows? I mean, I think that was it this year. I think even last year we were getting to a point where they were they didn't announce anything with Oculus last year. They announced a couple of games and some different Meta spaces, but there was nothing in terms of hardware moving forward again. But I think this year, this conference this year, it's supposed to be. That they're announcing the next kind of phase of Oculus, so I'm I'm excited to see whatever that's going to be. So yeah, so again, without play, you know, going back to to your guys, um, I mean, you're again working within the mobile space, and you know, you're working within you know what we'd say would be casual gameplay. But um, I suppose in a sense, is is there a sense that that hub that you have now is going to expand at any point? Do you guys think you're going to be in venture back out, say of Dundee? Do you think there would be any chance of opening sister studios again?
2: Yeah I mean we had we acquired a studio down in England um in 2016 uh, called Apexel Square and they're down in Derby um and uh we ultimately ended up selling selling the studio to Miniclip mm-hmm. in, in uh, March 2020 just as the world was going to hell in a handbasket um <laughs> but uh, certainly either Acquiring other studios that are doing similar kinds of games, or you know, games for a similar audience, yeah. um, is definitely uh, something that we're uh, looking at. And um, and and opening up a studio, you know, elsewhere would be something you know we've had. You know, Richard and I and quite mm. a few of the people in the, the, the leadership team mm. at Outplay have had experience of working in multi-site environments. So having you know an Outplay Somewhere else, you know, isn't inconceivable. It's not currently on the plans, but yeah, you know, somewhere, you know, I would, you know, somewhere in the EU would probably be, a, you know, a, a sensible place to, right. um, you know, to, to to then have a foot back in the in there, uh, yeah, from a talent perspective,
1: you know. of course, yeah. Is that a thing? Also, you've, I mean, I, you don't have to question it too much, but I'm just wondering with with now Brexit haven't happened, you know, five or six years ago or however long. Ago. I'm trying to put it in my memory as much as I can now at this point, but like, has well, that... there, was a
2: vote. there was a vote. And then, yeah, of course there was a vote.
1: <laughs> yeah. Did you feel that that's affected outplay in a sense? Like, cause obviously you're talent, you know, within Europe as well. So was that caused an issue or?
2: No, I mean, it's, uh, yes. I mean, fundamentally, yes. I think, you know, I'm, 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 really candid about this. I think it's a dreadful idea to begin with. And yep. it's gone on to demonstrate that it was a dreadful idea. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, in terms of how it's affected outplay, thankfully, uh, unlike many businesses, we don't have, we'd not, we've not run into this sort of bureaucracy and red tape around import and export, um, which is of, you know, we've not run into supply chain issues, you know, we've not, there's a whole host of other Brexit related terrible things uh, yeah. that we've thankfully dodged completely um most of our revenue comes from the US, you know, it's right. just, and that comes, it doesn't touch, doesn't, it's not, it's, we're not exporting anything, we're not importing anything. So, so, you know, so we've been very insulated in that regard, mm-hmm. but ultimately, <clears throat> you know, it means that it presents more friction um, to, uh, to find people that want, you know, if people wanted to live in Dundee before, right. or Scotland, you know, maybe now it's not less attractive. Yeah, you know. Um, it's, so it's 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 not it's definitely way way less way way less problematic for us than it has been for huge numbers of other businesses Company. and industries. Uh, but it's not made anything better. Yeah, you know, I mean that's the one that,
1: yeah, yeah. That was the whole promise was that things were going to be smoother and it was not going to be less friction and people were going to have to worry about certain things. But of course, that's just been the complete opposite right? It's, it's caused more and more friction. Like you said, the game sector has probably been the one that's maybe dodged maybe the most because you're just maybe dealing specifically with people. Like, like if you're dealing with haulage or anything with import food, oh, drugs, yeah, chemicals, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's been a nightmare in the UK. So yeah, definitely. Uh, anyway, I mean, like yeah, talking about outplay in general. I mean, the one thing I would say is that. You know, if people are interested in finding more about Outplay, um, you know, where, you, where are you kind of, like, located? What, what's the kind of things you do for outreach now? Like, how do people get involved with the company if they want to? Is it just purely through the website and social media?
2: Yeah, I mean, those are uh, the sub two main. You know, we've got, you know, LinkedIn, we're on Facebook, your your usual suspects. We're pretty active on LinkedIn in terms of talking about what the company's up to. We we tend to focus more off uh, content that's maybe of interest to Uh, industry types uh, on the the LinkedIn page rather than Facebook, which is more consumer-facing. But we've got a new website in development, which will be uh, way, way, way better than the one we currently have. Um, Though, um, you know, we've recently updated the the Outplay website and it has got some more content there. Um, we, um, We have done and continue to do sort of outreach with um, the universities and schools around locally. Um, we, we've we ra- run in the past that became sort of uh, it was impossible for quite a while. You know, we'd actually, you know, we'd, we'd get people up from or from different industries. Right. Uh, labs, you know, I'd like one of the people for person from Iron Man Animation come up and do a, you know, claymation sort of modeling. In a workshop, workshop. thing. Workshop. But that was not only for um, Outplayers, it was for other people interested in the, the sort of local uh, right. universities, you know, in education or in other companies. So we, we do do a fair amount of, you know, uh, women in the games, you know, uh, game, game industry, inclusion mm-hmm. and diversity efforts. You know, so There's a lot of sort of progressive um, uh, sort of causes that we're, we're involved with. These are, you
1: know, very closely in, in some cases. Yeah, fantastic. Well, that's great yeah i mean definitely like i'll leave all of your links and social media stuff for outplay down below um if the guys who are listening want to check it out yeah we can i'll leave that all so you guys can can reach out if, if you want to either work there or, or check out the stuff that they do but yeah i mean definitely outreach and, and Mize is one of the, the the best companies in not only the, the scottish region but the uk as well i think for an for independent developer and also mobile developer. so yeah, thank you very much welcome um, we, try. we try yeah of course no <laughs> I'm sure it's been a, a trying time but yeah definitely it's it's been worth it to get you on and have a wee chat about the, the industry and just what you think it's always great to just you know um, shoot the shit as I say about just the industry in general and, and tech and, and, and this the whole industry uh, you know it's always great just to get, have another mind on that, that kind of thinks in a, in a similar pattern so yeah thanks very much for coming on Doug no that's no, been
2: great thanks for having me yeah not
1: at all um, if you guys have listened to this point, um, thanks again for tuning in. Um if you have any questions for Doug or for outplay, you can leave them below. I'll try and forward them on if I can. And again I'll leave all the information in below if you want to contact them directly. And uh yeah, if you have any suggestions for anything else you'd want to have on, um I might even talk to Doug after the fact and see if we can get any of his, his art team on here at one point it might be interested as well. But yeah, um definitely thanks for listening. Um If you guys want to check it out on the podcast in different areas, we're on um, iTunes, Spotify. uh, We're on YouTube as well. You can see our pretty faces, as I always say. And, uh, yeah, hopefully you enjoyed the episode. Um, My thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Doug for coming on. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you guys uh, in a future episode. Thanks for tuning in. Bye, everybody.